Liturgy is just what we do when we come together. Every church has a liturgy. We're never saying, do we or don't we? We're saying, how does our practice liturgy form us? Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast. Or if you've never listened before, welcome for the first time. I'm glad that you're here. This is a place for gathering wise conversations on how to live well along the journey with Jesus. And uh, that's what we intend to do even today. My name is Casey. Uh, I'm your host. I'm an author and speaker. And uh, I'm really excited to share today's conversation with you. Um, I'm also excited because it's almost fall. My wife and I were talking about how we're just ready for the hot to be over. Uh, you know, Chicago land, the humidity, the heat, uh, it gets to be crazy town sometimes. So, um, yeah, we're ready for that to not be the thing anymore. So, uh, and, 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 and pumpkin spice is here. Pumpkin spice is here. It, yes, it's official. It may only be the first week of September or second week of September, uh, but but falls here. Anyway, uh, today we're talking with, uh, I say a lot of times, my friend, and I mean that because the people who've been on the show have been so gracious, on the podcast have been so gracious. Um, their their friendship is a, is a beginning. Uh, but this person today is someone I've known for a while and have enjoyed knowing for a while. His name is Aaron Nequist. Um, Aaron is an author. He just released a book called The Eternal Current. And Aaron is has launched a what he they call a neoliturgical practice-based gathering that is centered at Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. Um, if you're familiar with them, it's called the Practice. And it is a community of people who are gathered not just to believe things about Jesus, but to order their lives around doing something with those beliefs, which I, is there anything better than that? Like, let me soapbox for a second. The biggest thing that bothers me about my brothers and sisters in the Christian faith is how often we say we believe things and we don't do anything with them. So uh, Aaron has uh, has done this if, wherever he's been. He served on staff also at uh, Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids. Uh, some of you may know that's the church that Rob Bell started. Um, Aaron and his wife, Shauna, who's also an author that you may have heard of, uh, best-selling author, They uh, and their kids, they live in uh, the Barrington area. Uh, and this is just a great conversation. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about uh, spiritual stages. We're going to talk about the Cubs, because you can't talk to Aaron and not talk about the Cubs. But anyway, that you can skip that part. It's at the very beginning if you're not a baseball person. It's not four hours of Cubs. Uh, but this is a fantastic conversation, so I'm going to get out of the way so we can begin talking with my friend, Aaron. Nyquist. Well, Aaron, 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 so glad that we made this work, my friend. Thanks for being on the yeah. podcast today. Thanks for having me. Uh, lifelong, so I, I got to talk about this, lifelong Cubs fan. Of course, there's super, no other way. Super dedicated. <laughs> you can tell social media for you is, you know, mostly really deep and clear and inspiring thoughts and then cub stuff. And then cubs. Those are the only or 
crazy adventures with my little boys. Yes. Those are the only things in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff, stupid um, adventures with an 11 year old <laughs> and the Chicago Cubs. Yep. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> together. Sometimes those two things All interact. Together. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I have to ask a true Cubs fan, is it yeah. better or worse that you broke the World Series curse? <laughs> oh, it's better. It was that year was well, first of all, the actual the actual World Series was the most stressful seven games of my whole life. The last game I didn't even enjoy. I mean, it was just misery. It was just physical pain <laughs> and misery. So, but it was so fun to have to have done it. And um I don't think they're going to win the World Series again this year, but I think they do have potential to go pretty far again. So, yeah. but they need to get hot. So, yeah. See, but you've, I can hear it already. You've yeah. gone from, it's now the expectation. I know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have the best record in the National League. I mean, they're really good. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's part of it's part of living in Chicago, though. I because so, I've only lived here since 2000, and so I okay. I'm a a Cardinal fan because I lived it's, in Springfield, and uh, well, we so when I came up shirt. here, it was like, um, oh my we gosh, need to, we need to end this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cardinals, well, man, watch out for the wild card. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, Cardinals have been. I mean, they've been killing it these yes. last couple months. So yes. they're they're dangerous too. Yeah. So. Yep. So all the listeners now who are not baseball fans, <laughs> they've put us on two times speed to get through. That's right. That's right. Get through the sports. So uh, so all kinds of things have been going on for you. And one of them recently is uh, writing a book. And yep. the book's called The Eternal Current. And it reflects, uh, it's not a book necessarily about an idea, but about an idea that has been given life and structure. Uh, to a practice based faith yeah. that has formed into a community that practices a practice based faith. Yeah. Uh, when you look at that, when you look at the book and you look at the things that you've written about in there, what, what strikes you looking, in, looking backwards, you know, in yeah. retrospect, what's the thing that strikes you the most about this whole experience of the practice and, huh. and fleshing that out? Yeah. Oh, I've never, never been asked that. Um, maybe, maybe two things come to mind immediately. One, how utterly clueless we were and are. I mean, we just, we had these, these um, deep longings and we had these suspicions and wonderings and, but we had no idea. So we just kind of jumped into it. And there were, there were many early disasters and there were many early, unbelievable, holy moments. So I think, yeah, first was just the, we had no master plan. <laughs> we had no 18 month, you know, strategic vision. I mean, we just jumped in. And so that, that the first thing, the second thing is um, maybe on the other side, when I look back, it's remarkable how deeply transformational it was for so many of us. I mean, I just shared this. I was I actually got to go back to the practice and speak a couple of weeks ago. And I got to share right at the beginning, and I hadn't told them this before, but right before we started the practice, if you would ask me, I would say, I'm not sure 
I know how to stay a Christian in any meaningful way. Like I was, I, I hadn't lost faith in, in, in God or through Christ, but I just didn't know how to be a Christian. And then we jumped in to this community together and it breathed new life and it reformat, reformatted things in me. And so, yeah, so clueless and formational. <laughs> so just uh, because I want people to read the book and you do go through the journey of how the practice came about. Yeah. Describe what it is. So if a person, obviously somebody's listening going, wow, this reformatting yeah. your Christian faith, this is yeah. something. Uh, what is What does the practice look like from a philosophical point of view, but also then from a practical point of view? Sure. Yeah. Well, the on a big picture, the book is not ultimately about this gathering. The book is about this big invitation to not just believe things about God, but to join God in what God is doing to redeem and restore all things. So the book is kind of a wider thing, but you're absolutely right. The community where we have fleshed this out is the center of it. And so, yeah, the, the, basically what we said is we want to be a community who doesn't just believe things about Jesus, but learns how to rearrange our lives in order to put his words into practice for the sake of the world. Um, that's a little bit of a mouthful, but the whole idea was rather than come to church for a sermon and a concert, we said we want to come to church like church as gymnasium, where we practice together, where we learn things that aren't just great for that hour and a half on Sunday, but propel us into our actual lives Monday through Saturday. So, um, yeah, it was very experimental. Um, like I said, there were, there were moments that we were like, wow, that was a disaster. And there were moments that we just, just afterwards, we just sat in silence. What just happened? That was, <laughs> what did God just do in our little chapel here? You know, like, so it was, but it's all about practices, tangible things we do to partner with what God's been doing all along. Yeah. When you talk about learning and doing. So obviously yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hearing there's a, there's a huge thread of Dallas Willard. So oh, yeah. a lot of people listening will know that name. If you don't, I'm going to post a link to a book in the show notes oh, my that gosh. you need to yes. read. If you can, you need to take about a year and read it, but you can come <laughs> back to it. Every page yeah, takes like an hour <laughs> and then a week to process it, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's life-changing. It's yeah. not beach reading. Let's put it that no, way. No, no. <laughs> uh, no, so I hear learning and doing. And yeah. for me, that is the heart of, of where wisdom begins to huh. crackle to life. And so every guest, we, we talk about this. If Now that you're looking at the practice, you're looking at the invitation that you yeah. has so impacted you. And I've been a part of the practice community on several occasions. I can see that. You yeah. can, it's not hidden. You can see it. Yeah. Cool. So this, this learning and doing that has impacted you and has impacted the team that you work with it's a, it's a kind of wisdom. So if you had to define wisdom, given all of this context yeah. that you're working with, how would you start to define what wisdom is? Oh man. Well, I mean, you're like the wisdom expert. So it, <laughs> I feel weird throwing my little, uh, theory at, at you who could probably define it much more compelling. I've so snowed everyone on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, when I, when you ask that question, the, the word and the concept that immediately came to mind for me was depth. You know, if, if intelligence 
is like on the surface or in your brain, like I know some things. Wisdom is down in your bones, you know, in your guts, in your body. Um, I think it sounds to me quite similar to the difference between like um, happiness and joy. You know, happiness happens when, I, man, that cup of coffee was fantastic. And that's great. Happiness is really good. But joy is deep in our bones and it can happen anywhere. So, yeah, first thing I think about with wisdom is a depth rather than just a surface. I'm stealing yours. That is so <laughs> yeah. good. Oh, good. Well, and it's, it's resonant. It's resonant. I think a lot of people listening, and I know I do, I resonate with that because the whole yeah. happiness, joy thing is you, you can easily find out what the wise path for life is. Yeah. And scripture witnesses to this, you know, the, the road of happiness is not a horrible road. No, happiness but is great. Yeah. You're probably going to skate past that stuff sure. that more than anything keeps you through yeah. times that are not happy. Yeah, like good. joy can sustain you in difficulty, and yep. And, yep. and that's a wise that's way. And it also hints at the practice idea. Like you yeah. need some things that help you dig, and continue to pursue that. That's exactly right. Yeah, teaching alone or ideas alone can make you smart, mm. but only um, submitting to wise practices can make you wise. Yeah. So and get it down into your body, into your bones, into your soul. Yeah. So as a person, it, you talk early in the book about um, growing up in a Plymouth Brethren kind of yeah kind of space. Very for people who don't know, it's it, describe that Plymouth Brethren. Yeah, Plymouth Brethren event. is is just it's a very conservative, very low church, independent um, type. Uh, uh, Christian tradition. And there's a lot I love about it. Um, and then a lot I've had to really let go. Sure. Um, but yeah, very, um, no paid staff. Like it was kind of power to the people. Um, the priesthood of all believers was really big. Um, table centric, which was great. Um, so communion was the center of every week, whereas a lot well, of churches... It was, it was actually, there was a whole, ser the first service of the morning was the breaking of bread and there was no music allowed and no, nothing prepared. So yeah. you just showed up and then whoever wanted to would stand and share something and then eventually you'd come to the table. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of good things, a lot of things that were not as helpful, but yeah, that was the tradition. And the reason I bring that up is because as you talk about depth, uh, I believe all of our spiritual life comes out of a context that's already built into us. Mm. Like there's a starting point that began for you in Plymouth Brethren. There's a starting yeah. point that began for me in the United Methodist Church and then later in the Church of the Nazarene. But the move you make, and in the book you mentioned people like Alexander Schmemann, who's an Orthodox writer. Yep. The, the gap... <laughs> The chasm from <laughs> Plymouth Brethren to Orthodox is a fairly Long, it's wide, a it's a big jump. Uh, how, how did you begin to um, reach into those different traditions? Uh, yeah. There's a mentor of mine, Neil Wyndham, who said it, he calls it bringing home the bacon. It's like huh. there are all these traditions out there, yeah. Orthodox, Roman Catholic. Some of my greatest inspirations have been people like Henry Nouwen, Thomas Merton, yeah. You know, Roman Catholics with whom our theology does not go hand in hand necessarily on a lot of things. Yeah. 
So how did you begin to investigate and embrace some of those different traditions? Yeah, uh, for me, it, it started really practically. And then it was upon reflection that it turned into kind of deep values and even theological perspectives. But it just, it began with um, when I, uh, I was the worship leader at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids for a number of years. And when I got to Mars Hill, they were talking, you know, it was a real kingdom theology and talking about these big concepts that I had not been a part of a church that talked about out loud. You know, we whispered about those things in the basement, but they were talking about it. But I showed up as a worship leader and all I had was kind of the evangelical pop worship leader thing, you know, four pop songs and a hymn. That's the only tool I had. And it's a great tool. We, I still do that sometime and it's God uses it and it's really beautiful, but it, it wasn't nearly enough for the width and the depth of the kingdom theology that we were exploring at Mars Hill. So we just started saying, all right, on Sundays, we've got to do more than sing pop songs. What can we do? And we started learning from other traditions. So it started really practically. So, you know, I'd look at all the other liturgies and how come everyone else does a confession of sin every Sunday. Well, maybe that's important. What can we learn? Why? You know, so it started really practically, but then it, it led me into these spaces of realizing there is so much goodness in all these other traditions. Um, where I grew up, Catholics weren't even Christians. Like there was going to be no Catholics in heaven, according to us. It was basically just going to be us and anyone else kind of close to us, you know? Be a very, um, very small place. <laughs> you're very small. Um, but suddenly I realize, you know, and it's like anything, when you actually engage in relationship, you realize, like you said, oh, of course I don't agree with everything. They don't agree with everything of me. I don't agree with everything of my closest friends. Like, but agreement isn't the point. That's not the goal. Jesus didn't say you're, you know, they will know we are Christians by our complete alignment over every theological detail. That's bonkers. Um, so, but we can align around Christ at the center and learning how to get swept up in what God is doing in the world through the spirit, through our hands and feet. Um, so I'm, I'm rambling slash preaching now, but uh, <laughs> it started really practically and then it opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, my tradition is good, but it is not nearly enough. Yeah. I need, I need every, we need everybody, right? It, it's interesting because you, when you bring that up, I, I think there's a kind of restlessness in the way that we approach gathered worship experiences. Yeah. Um, Say more. Well, who all, I heard, I can't remember who I heard talking about this. Uh, it'll come to me later. But somebody was saying, you know, when Jesus showed up, I don't think anybody heard his words and then said, you know, he's funnier last week. <laughs> Something like that. And, yeah. and how often there's a, we evaluate it by feeling, which I think is fine. Sure. Um, but I also think that the worship gathering, the gathered community, yeah. singing, listening, challenging, sharing in bread and wine is often the place where we can do the most, we do the most transition. 
So we can sing things. I mean, people can be exposed to uh, liturgies and they don't even know that they're being, right. you know, they grow up right. in a, a tradition that has printed high liturgy. Right. But then they go to an evangelical megachurch, non-denominational, and they go through the weekend and they're like, no, nah, we don't do liturgy. Yeah. If you go for 12 weeks and it's always song, song, <laughs> announcement, <laughs> sermon, communion, yeah. you, you have a, you have yeah. a liturgy. Yep. So yep. as you look at that, how does it for you as a person who has a heart for creating these worship environments and yeah. filling them with this richness of tradition and theology and practice? Yeah. How do you honor this fact that there are people spread all over the spectrum? Yeah. Some people good. are coming with an openness yeah. and they, they yeah. know it's liturgy and they love it. Some people are like, yeah. I just like that it's quiet. Yeah. Or I yeah. love the way yeah. my wife and I, when we come to the practice, we love everything about it. The one thing we always comment about is I think they mic the bread <laughs> because when it tears, it's, it you just, can hear it in the yeah, room yeah, and it's right, like, right, oh, right, that's right. such a glorious thing. Yeah. Maybe because we enjoy bread too, but sure. Yeah. Irregardless. How do you, how do you speak to that whole, there's a spectrum, oh, so a community that's involved yeah. in these experiences. Couple, couple general thoughts first. Um, one is liturgy is a very, um, uh, divisive word. Um, it's so misunderstood or not even misunderstood. We all just bring our idea of that word to the conversation. So we're often talking about different things. So to your point, liturgy is just what we do when we come together. Every church has a liturgy. We're never saying, do we, or don't we? We're saying, how does our practiced liturgy form us? Mm. We submit to this every week over and over and over. What kinds of people does it form us into? Mm. Um, the other thing, and I shared this in the book, but uh, I was having the, a real similar conversation with my wife, Shauna, and she was asking, why are you into all this old stuff? And what are you doing? And and I was trying to explain it, kind of rambling, you know, Alexander Schmemann, you know, I, I didn't know. Finally, she, I think, maybe interrupted me and said, wait, 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 wait. Basically, what I'm hearing you say is you just want to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. And that was it. I just realized, like, oh, my gosh. First of all, leave it to Shauna. I rambled for 10 minutes, couldn't say it. She said it in one perfect sentence. <laughs> But that seems consistent for her. That seems consistent, <laughs> of course. And of course, it's about food, right? Um, but I, I think the reason I share that is every single human being on earth and every single Christian from every different tradition needs a well-balanced meal. Mm. And depending on where we grew up, um, we're probably a little out of balance in that way. And again, that's, that's not bad. You know, in, in my tradition growing up, we were so good at celebration. We were so good at engaging our hearts and not just going through the motions, but making it earnest and personal. I mean, those are beautiful things. Um, you know, I've had to learn like, man, we don't have a lot of content you know, this is a lot of emotional, this is good emotion, emotional connection, but also just some kind of disconnected emotionalism. Mm. And so bringing in some deeper streams have been so helpful, not to erase the emotions, but to tether them. Um, but on the flip side, some of my mainline friends 
are like, I mean, we have, <laughs> we have anchors for days and we are bored to tears. Um, and they're looking for life. They're looking for energy. When uh, Father Michael, he's my spiritual director, he's a Jesuit priest. Whenever he comes to the practice, you know, I've learned, I've learned more from him than I will ever teach anybody. I mean, he has taught me so much. But when he comes to the practice, he says, oh, I love being here because your people love to sing. Mm. He said, you know, at mass, right. and he's like, I'm usually the celebrant at mass. <laughs> you know, people are not singing. They look disengaged. And um, he says, I love that your community loves to sing. This is yeah. a good reminder for me because I am usually like, man, yeah, but we're so shallow. We're, you know, whatever. <laughs> but we all need a well-balanced meal. Yeah. And I think it's some of why I believe so deeply in ecumenical work. Um, ec you know, the, the idea of multiple traditions, not just going to our silos, but coming together to partner. Because we, again, not, this sounds like a cliche, but I really mean it. We need everybody. Yeah. We need everybody. Do you, do you, how do you, uh, how do you think about the idea that is there a point where we need the, the gathering? We, we always need the gathering. Yeah. But where we need it differently, where there's a stage in our spiritual formation and development where we need different things out of that space. Yeah. yeah. And, Absolutely. And how do, how do we, how do we retrofit that? And, and that's tough. I mean, you, before we started recording, you mentioned the critical journey. Have you talked about that on the, on the podcast? Not yet. No, no. Oh, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Well, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on it. Um, man, you should do an entire podcast on it. It's so, <laughs> so, so important. Um, the 32nd version is there are stages of faith. And it's messy. It's not super linear. It's more cyclical. But most of us, we can look back and see these stages unfold. And the very short version is the people writing the book make the observation that 99% of the churches in America are brilliant for stage one, two, and three. Yeah. But once you hit stage four, and if you even manage to get to stage five, the church has nothing to offer you. Mm. So that is a um, terrifying idea because what they're not saying is people at stage four and five don't need church. They need it desperately, but the modern American church doesn't have much to offer. And yeah. so, and that's, you know, so many people are feeling that these days and wrestling with what church is and what is ending feels like major things are crumbling and ending. And it's very interesting right now, but yeah. Well, that's, you bring up two things that I think are so important because we have had a conversation about worship for the last, you know, however many minutes we've been talking and we've yeah. talked very little about singing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's a helpful corrective is that, yeah. you know, people hear worship, they think music. Which Excellent. is fine. It's part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a musician, obviously, you you think that too. I do have to tell you. So before we came on, I was uh, I was scrubbing the bathroom. Okay. And uh, I started singing uh, some Gaither vocal band songs. No. So way. I just wanted you to know that <laughs> I don't know how this is all going to turn out, but that is not a great omen going into the conversation. <laughs> like all of funny. a sudden, Daystar comes out. Yeah. Like Guy oh Penrod. Just anyway. 
Uh, so we've talked a little bit about music, but not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked more about formation. Yeah. And especially because uh, the, this, the, the practice and the practice-based faith is taking seriously that these are all elements that fit together. Yeah. Towards the formation of a whole person. That's right. That's the, right. The full balance meal. Yep. So you, in the book, you say God is not an equation to be solved, but a relationship to be cultivated. Yeah. I, you, we talk about how the stages one, we'll talk about, let's talk about critical journey. We might as yeah. well. Uh, stages one, two, three, and four, the dividing line between yeah. the next stages is a wall. Yeah. And that yep. wall has to do with pain. Yep. The dark night of the soul. Yes. Yep. So one of the things that I admire and have appreciated is how the practice community has talked about lament. Yeah. So when you talk about an equation to be solved or relationship to be cultivated, I think we hear relationship and we think warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Uh, but the practices that we undergo should be leading us to a place where we learn how to lament how did you begin to how did you begin to have that discussion knowing that that's probably the least popular thing you could do in a <laughs> gathering how did you begin that right. sort of journey towards okay we need a we need a practice of lament yeah i think um oh man i have a lot lot to say about this this is really this really matters to me um well i think where it started is one of the things that we became you know we said, all right, we want to serve a well-balanced meal to our community. You like, like a real food meal, you can't eat everything, every meal. That would be crazy. You can't eat from every food group, every meal. You have to look back over the last week. <laughs> have I eaten enough greens? Have I had enough protein? Okay. And so we were saying, let's just take it a month at a time. We look back at the last month from a spiritual practice standpoint, did we serve a well-balanced meal? And we just realized, even though we were really trying to widen and deepen, um, there really wasn't much of a place for lament in our communal gatherings. And, um, you know, you look at the Psalms, and almost one third of the Psalms are laments. You look at the CCLI top 100 worship songs in America. Do you know what percentage of those are laments? I'll tell you. Yes. Zero percent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, apparently the, the, um, the scriptures knew something about the human soul and human experience that we've forgotten. Yeah. And so we just said, let's, let's explore this together. And so we took this, the season of Lent, maybe this is two years ago, maybe three years ago. And we said, we're going to use, we're going to uh, do six experiences of lament. So week one was why even do this? Jonathan Martin came and spoke like just yeah. kind of the big picture. Week two was what is biblical lament? Is it just complaining? Is it just being mad? You know, we really, that was the te the real teaching week. And then week three, uh, one of the members of our team, Jenna Perrine, um, she led us through a nine step, how to write your own biblical lament. And then because it's the practice, that's what we did that night. Yeah. She taught us a couple steps, then we do it. Taught a couple steps. The next week we said, all right, we're not gathering here. Gather around tables. We offered a little table liturgy. And we said, do this table liturgy if it's helpful. But 
share your lament with those at the table. And it, oh my gosh, at least our table, it was holy. There were tears. There were uh, deep connection. And then the final week we came together and the, the band, The Brilliance, came. And we asked them to just do a whole evening of lament that then opens us up to God. And it was quite an experience. But what's fascinating is we did a kind of five-year debrief. You know, like after five years of being a community together, we did uh, some open conversation one night at the practice. And, you know, what, what was most meaningful? What did you? And it felt like every three or four people, someone would say, learning how to lament those few weeks in lament and no one liked it. <laughs> like I don't like lament, but what do I do with the broken parts of my heart? Like really? Yeah. Do I just celebrate more? You know, that, that seemed like the only option going to church. Yeah, pray you, go, more. you go into that place of saying you, you pray more, you pray harder. Yeah. Or yeah. if you want to take it a really dark turn, it's, well, you're in this place because your faith is not oh, terribly strong. True? Right. Right. Even though, like you said, a third of the Psalms yeah. are written apparently by a man who had zero faith. If that's the, if that's yeah, the way we're going to go the, with that, that's David the is test. completely yep. weak. Yep. So yeah, there's some, there's some interesting lines to walk yeah. through. So, and you just see why um, Christians and everybody, but Christians can get so split mm. because we know there's something dark in there. We all do but we have, we have no place to bring it to the light. So we just stuff it. And once you stuff one thing, well, then this thing, well, I can stuff that too. And suddenly you're living the, this dual life and it, and it can easily implode. Um, but what's so beautiful about the way of Jesus and the invitation of God, the kingdom that Jesus talks about is God is not afraid of our darkness. God is not afraid of our sorrow. In fact, God is close to the brokenhearted. Mm. You know, so it's, it's like it flips the whole thing. Um, you think church is the place where you have to have it all together and convince God you're good and happy. And you realize that is nowhere in the scripture and the story of God's people. And so anyways, again, I'm I'm ranting and raving again. Uh, preach, preacher. That's good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, in, I'm thinking of people who might be listening, and uh, I deal with this sometimes, and the question comes and says, well, you know, I go to this church, but they're not very deep, and I'm not yeah. getting fed. Yeah. And that language, you know, you hear it enough that you start going, okay, what do you mean by deep? Right. And what do you mean by fed? Right. But as you've been talking, what I've noticed is, when we begin to talk about the pieces of a practice-based faith, if it's a person who is curious, they'll be like, huh, if there's a person who's hungry, there's something going off in them right now. There's like a, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's the thing. And that's the thing. So I have this person in mind who, and this is not like a, so let's say I have a friend. (laughs) This is a legitimate, like hypothetical who maybe attends a church and has been there for years. Yeah. They serve, their kids are connected. They're, it's a place where they're comfortable and they have friends. Yeah. But what they're, they're experiencing a bit of that dissonance. Yeah. They're experiencing that, you know what? I don't, I really tune out during the sermon because I think I've heard that before. And right. this hasn't necessarily, this isn't changing me where I'm at now. 
Yeah. Because even the critical journey, the first stage, you need like boundaries. Yeah. Our, yeah. our, our communal influence, Richard Rohr would say that you have yep. to build the container. Yep. Uh, and you need some strict guidelines for that. But there comes a point where the container's built. Now it's time to fill it. And that's a very different task. Yeah. How do you, how would you guide someone who's in that spot of, I love the church I go to, but what it's not filling my container right yeah. now. What do I, what do I do with this? Yep. Um, it's such a good question. And you know, as well as I do, and probably everyone listening knows that that is not a minority position. That is yes. not just a few people here and there. Right. I mean, right. that is, I, I'm hearing that everywhere. And um, first, I'd, I'd uh, celebrate the person that they're staying, mm-hmm. uh, at least initially, because a lot of people just, well, doesn't do what I want it to do as a consumer. So I'm out of here. And, uh, so I think my answer would be two things. First of all, to your point about being learn anywhere, um, a humble person can find the good in almost anything. Um, but what we experience is so much more about us than it is about what we're experiencing. So the first thing I would say is I would encourage that, especially if it was a friend of mine, to go deep inside and just get curious about why. Like, why do you feel that way? What is it? Is it possible it's just a style that's making you close off where if you can get past your own preference, there's deep wisdom there that you can learn? Is it possible you have some hurt, some unforgiveness that's getting in the way? I mean, I would begin inward reflection. Um, And then that will help discern the second point, which is you may have to leave. Mm. Like not every church is helpful. Not every church is safe. Not every church is, um, is aligned with what God's doing in the world. I mean, so I'm not a person that is always just stick it out. Church attendance, commit to your institution. Absolutely not. There's a time to graciously get yourself out of there, you know. But I I just think that comes after the introspection and discernment. Um, Does that resonate with your experience? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the staying, the staying or going question is always the challenge because as you said, and as we talked about, you know, anybody can be your teacher, but also sometimes it's the, it's the staying for a season that, that forms you. Yeah. Isn't that true? Perseverance, even for a bit. And then it's, you know, I'm I'm doing this, sometimes it's for our kids and sometimes, and that gets what we're venturing into an area that's not black or white. Yeah. Either you stay or you go. Yeah, that's right. Either you stay for your kids or you go because sometimes you should, sometimes you shouldn't. That's why, I mean, both of us have benefited heavily from spiritual directors. Absolutely. I I think that's, especially in a season like this, if someone's feeling like I need to figure out, I need to figure this out, a spiritual director would be a great person for that. It's so true. Yeah. So for you, leading this and writing the book and and just cultivating and nurturing these ideas, how have you seen the practice-based faith 
move into your family, uh, your interactions. I'll open the can. Your interactions yeah. <laughs> on social media or yeah. even with the political climate we're in right now. Have you seen this yeah. practice-based faith shape you for those things? Oh, man. Wow. Well, it has. It's shaped everything. That is not the same as saying I always do it well or I always submit to it. It's We um, all just would just all <laughs> embrace the fact that it's... Let's just start right yes. there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think I'll start real general. I believe to my toes, we are always immersed in the presence of God. Not just on Sundays, not just when I'm reading the Bible. We are always immersed in the presence of God. And every moment gives us an opportunity to either align with what God's doing or fight against it. And so, you know, in the book, I use this, this idea of this river, the eternal current that's flowing, the current, the river is always flowing. We are, every single person is invited into it. There's no religious test to get into the water. Jesus Christ says, join me, join me. Let me teach you how to swim. And so that swimming happens every waking moment. And so absolutely when I log on to Twitter and think I'm going to lose my soul and sanity and belief in humanity. Um, (laughs) That, that is an invitation to join what God is doing in me and potentially through me or miss it and drop some bombs. Um, So no, what's fascinating and you know, this, it's not, if I'm aligned with, with God, I say happy, cute things. And if I'm not aligned, I say difficult things that make people mad. Sometimes it's the reverse, right? Sometimes to join what God is doing is to say, you know what? Kids in cages, that is immoral. That is unconscionable. That is as a person of faith who believes that every single person is made in the image of God. I have to stand against that with all my might. So yeah. sometimes aligning with God, you know, uh, causes trouble, um, but uh, it's good trouble, right? Yeah. And it's the balanced meal. You need the poets. Yeah, isn't that right? Yep. You need the prophets. Yeah. Uh, and we have some, I mean, there are some fellow prophets that are in our midst and people that we yeah. listen to. And, and sometimes their courage just, you mentioned Jonathan Martin. I mean, he... Yeah. He says things sometimes, and it, I just go, "Wow!" Yep. All right, yep. we that's out there now. So let's yeah. <laughs> let's all talk about this. But that's right. And yep. so that so it's good to hear that because I what I love about what the practice has done is it's 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 created a space for the people who we've talked about the ninety nine percent of folks who are thinking I just there's something that's not aligning, there's yeah. something that's not connecting, yeah. or there's yeah. something that's missing. Yeah. And I think all of those are different. Yeah. And sometimes it's us. You know, sometimes yep. it's I'm in a season of mental illness and I'm trying to figure that out. I should give myself some grace here. Or yeah, that's right. Like for me, I'm, I, you know, moving two times in a year and a half. Oh, Everything so is going to feel yeah. like it's still in boxes. Absolutely. But yep. what the practice has helped to do is to, to unpack that a bit. Um, looking back at the book, uh, it's done yeah. really well. And looking back at the, 
how the process of, of putting it together. Did you, did you discover some things about yourself in the midst of all this, some things about your own, where you were and who you are? And, Oh my gosh, a, a hundred things. I mean, it was, it was such a, I mean, you've, you've written, you know, you, you know, this as well as anybody, but when you're forced to go deeply into your story, you know, as an Enneagram four, I do that a lot. Like I'm introspection, uh, probably to a fault, but I am, I, I, I am never, I never have the opportunity slash enforced by my editor to fight it all the way to a, to the ground and say, all right, what did happen in that season? Mm. How would I say it? Um, what was true? So I try to write what was the most true. And then I realized, man, there's a corner of that. There's an, there's a whole nother door. Uh, there's a whole nother room on this, this. So then you explore that and suddenly you're in all these different places. And so I think the discipline of being forced, I mean, choosing, but being forced to articulate it as clearly as I know how was so kind of illuminating for myself. Yeah. And so that's, that's interesting because I think sometimes for people to hear the author's journey with the book, sure. I think, yeah. I think I'm a Enneagram four too, and that may just okay. be us, but I feel like books are, are things that we experience more than we write. Uh, that's good. And so they're, yeah. they're a part of us. Yeah. Um, and so someone who reads this not only gets to hear the story of the practice, but also they get to experience a piece of of you and a piece of the critical journey in a lot of ways, a very small scene, but yeah. um, So for somebody, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, one of the biggest shifts that happened in the book, and I don't think I've talked about this publicly ever, but um, about the 11th hour, like it was due in a month, it was not working. All the pieces were there, but like I shared it with three really trusted friends and they were all like, well, I see what you're doing, but you know, and I remember where I was standing when I realized this book is not about me and my journey. This is not a memoir. This is not, here's Aaron's journey. Try to learn some things from it. This book is about what it means to live a practice-based faith what it means to be a person and a community who swims in the current with God um, at church, fine, but all week long. Um, And when that shift happened, everything fell into place. So my story gets to be, I share a couple personal things as examples, but it's way more about how every single person on earth has been invited to swim in our families, at work, in pain, in joy and ecstasy, you know, in every, every part of life. Yeah. Thanks for being the person to extend the invitation. Hmm. I think, I think there's a gift that, that comes from not only the book, but also what people are hearing you talk about. And I, I look forward Hmm. to someone who hears this, who's in that critical journey spot. And I'm going to put links for, I think we've got like six, six books and counting now (laughs) that are going to go in the show notes, but the critical journey, Janet Hagberg, I I think there's something to that for our listeners and maybe we'll do a whole episode on it. Do you know who I'd love to do an episode with about that? Yeah. Is Annie Downs. Ooh, yes. Because I listened to her podcast and I, I can't keep up with her. Like her, her, 
outward like sevenness. Yeah. Oh, I would love yeah. to have someone like myself who's like navel gazing and Annie <laughs> who's like whatever the opposite of navel gazing right. is and right. just talk through that whole process. I, I know you've talked with her too. And it was interesting to hear you two talk because yeah. you have the more reflective piece. I mean, it's just beauty <laughs> well, and fire, you know? Totally. Oh, she is, a, she is a force of nature. Um, <laughs> she is so great. And she mentioned in that podcast where um, we were, uh, there was this gathering um, that someone had asked me to lead a, kind of like an hour or hour and a half, uh, contemplative practice. And she was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and I think, she, you know, if, off the record, she'd say, I hated most of it. And it opened up spaces that I didn't even know existed, you know? And so she's like, I don't want to do it again, but man, you know, so, but that's I probably should. Yeah. Right. But I mean, that's how I feel being around her and people, you know, uh, two of my closest friends are Enneagram sevens. And they are the funnest people. They, they remind me that life is also just a ball and unpredictable and we laugh hard. And so, you know, maybe if a theme of this podcast is emerging, it really is. We need everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good, man. Hey, thanks for giving your time this morning. Oh, absolutely. Thanks really for the invitation. It. Yeah. You bet. So the entire time we were talking, I was thinking to myself, I am so glad that this is my podcast. <laughs> uh, not in an arrogant way, but just uh, just to hear Aaron's heart about what's going on. It, just amazing. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that was uh, encouraging. If you're one of those folks who feels like there's a disconnection for you, uh, you feel like maybe you don't fit where you are. Uh, I would take some of those encouragements that he gave, you know, stick it out and grow and find everyone is, it really is your teacher. Find someone, something there that you can gain some wisdom from, um, explore the path of humility. And if it is time to find a new community to go to, find some wise people that you trust who will help you, um, who help you figure that out. But again, I love the idea that worship is about formation. Whatever we do, whoever we worship, and however we worship is, is turning us into a certain kind of person. And for me, it's, it's always, is this, is this helping me become more like Jesus? And if it's not, then, then maybe I need to think about that. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you're going to find links for Aaron's book, uh, the book, The Critical Journey, um, I'm going to throw a link to, uh, Jonathan Martin's podcast. We talked a little bit about Jonathan. Uh, also we talked about Annie Downs. Her podcast is really interesting. Um, so I'm going to throw all those in there. Also some stuff about the Enneagram. If you'd like to explore that a little bit more, of course, as always, if you haven't rated or subscribed to the otherwise podcast on iTunes, please do that. That would be really helpful for me to know what's going on and what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying. Uh, if you like the podcast, by all means, rate it. If you don't like it, email me. <laughs> you can do that through my website, caseytigret.com. Uh, so Aaron, this week, next week, we're having a conversation with a guy named Seth Haynes that I think you're really going to love. And then after that, I'm going to do just a real short conversation, real short, short teaching on how we talk to each other. 
so next three weeks, this week, next week, and the week after. Uh, I hope you enjoy those. Again, thank you so much for listening, you guys. So be well, live wisely. Peace, friends.